On this episode of the Retire ASAP Show, we're going to talk about interest rates, what's going on with the Fed, and how you should be investing your fixed interest type investments. It's time for the Retire ASAP Podcast. Here's your host, Taylor Fike. Welcome to the Retire ASAP Show, where our goal is to get you free from work as soon as possible. And my name is Taylor Fike, and with me I have my co-host, Brad, the dad, Fike. Yes, uh, that's me, and uh, we are here today, um, and it's a beautiful rainy day in Ohio. Yes. I always like to start with the weather, don't I? You're you're getting old. You're a senior citizen now, so I think you're, you're supposed to just talk about the weather the first thing. I should do my stretches and make some noises about my yoga stretches, but right now I'm pretty stiff from all the yoga I've been doing. Well, with all this weather, your joints are probably just aching. You know? Oh, I, yeah. They used I, to say a sign of wisdom, which I guess means just age, is that you know what the weather's going to be based off of your joints. Well, then I'm a very wise man. <laughs> That's all I can <laughs> there say. You go. Well, welcome back to the show. Um, last time we talked about the debt ceiling, and I know it's a surprise, but we're still here. Financial Armageddon did not hit, and you know what we did? We just kicked the can down the road just a little bit further. Two years, I think. Got to deal with it in a couple more years, but you know what we don't have to deal with it? Today. That's exactly right. And I think uh, when we left the last podcast, we thought they were going to kick the can down without an agreement and that the federal bank would have to loan uh, the Fed, the federal government money to pay all the bills for a while, which was going to be a high interest rate. And uh, that's in the last podcast we did discuss that. And fortunately, that did not happen. Never had to worry about it because, goodness gracious, they realized that their paychecks were on the line and somehow magically we came up with a deal. We argued and we moaned and we, I don't even know what you want to call it, whatever they do down there in D.C. Some very deep deal making went on that you and I will ever, never, ever, 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 ever know (laughs) what happened. So in the end, I mean, this this is generally what we expected is that there was going to be a conclusion to this. And yes, it was a dire circumstance. And if they didn't have a conclusion, the markets were going to react pretty negatively. But in the end, it just came down to dollars and cents and who gets paid and who gets their name on this and who gets their name on that. And here we are with a solution, just like always. And I think the lesson out of this for uh, everyone uh, listening, including us, which, okay, we're going to include all of us is that the emotion of the news media and the doom and gloom that was wrapped around that for months uh, was really nothing in the end. And usually that is the case. And so when we say the news media creates a big mess of emotion, there's a perfect example. So we can't get caught up in that crap. No. And so here's, here's the lesson that I learned out of all this, is that two years from now, I have already got some expectations set for what to expect. A lot of conversation about how crazy this debt crisis is and how we're running out of money and how we can't continue doing what we're doing. And then we're just going to continue doing what we're doing for a couple more years and just kicking the can down the road. And I understand that on a macro level, this does give some people a little bit less confidence in the U.S. government and the dollar and all those things. But in the end, you have to look at what does currency look like and what does it represent And it's all about the trust. Do people trust that the United States is going to be around for another decade or another hundred years or another thousand years? 
They at right at this point right now they're expecting that to be the case. So we can accumulate more debt because there's trust that we're going to pay back that debt at some point or at least make payments on that debt for as long as we're around. And so 2 years from now, there's not a reason to panic because it's not much of a different situation than what we're in today what we were in back in those previous crises that we talked in the previous episodes. We don't need to kick a dead horse, but in the end, it really wasn't as big of a deal as everyone made it on the media. No, and now that, you know, the big talk will be for the next two years will be Social Security is going to be bankrupt in, what, 2031 30 or two or something like that. And, you know, this is going to be the whole big talk, but you know how many times that can has been kicked down the road? Right decades of social security going bankrupt they always fund it it always comes back and as long as they have the ability to raise taxes they can always turn the income stream up and continue to spend exactly so i don't again that's another one of those doom and gloom things that really is more noise than it is reality when it comes to the media on those well it's reality but it doesn't happen speaking of doom and gloom and noise guess what happens tomorrow brad the wonderful regular quarterly Fed meeting where they talk about all kinds of fun stuff. Is it quarterly or monthly? How often do those they, guys meet? Monthly, pretty much. They monthly. S- sometimes they'll skip a month, but it's been pretty much monthly. I and think guess what they're like talking about? I, well, I know it, they haven't the talked. Fed talks about. What? I know they haven't talked much about this stuff, but they are going to talk about interest rates and inflation. Oh, that's right. Does it's, that mean anything to us? <laughs> sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It's it's an exhausting cycle. And I think a year ago when we first started talking about this, maybe a year and a half ago, depending on you know when the podcast started talking about it, that this is just an exhausting conversation. It's the same conversation about the nitty gritty little minute details that change just a couple percentage points or tenths of a percentage point, and somehow that affects the markets in a big way. And so tomorrow's the big one that everyone's expecting, that the Fed is finally going to stop raising rates. They're going to put a pause on it and just let it ride. Now, we don't know what they're actually going to do because they try to keep pretty tight-lipped about what their plans are until they release what those plans are. But this is kind of a big deal because we're we might have hit that point of the inflation where we hit the top of it. Now, I don't know if that's for sure, and there's plenty of economists that can argue one way or the other, but this could be one of those turning points on this inflation conversation where we're no longer talking about it's getting worse. We can start talking about it might be getting better. Yeah, well, I think I just read this morning that the uh, uh, May results from inflation came out just a hair over 4%. So they think it's definitely the market's now expecting a pause. And actually, some of the articles say they think it's done. But the Fed's not going to say that tomorrow. They're going to if they gave that definitive answer, the markets would skyrocket. Right. And then the economy would get out of control because people would be making money and then they would start spending again. Yeah, we'd be right back to what they're always going to keep us guessing for, I think, probably for another year. They're always going to make us guess what's going on, what's going on, because they don't want that market to go skyrocket. I mean, think about that. If your accounts all of a sudden jump 25 percent, people are going to go, oh, I can buy that new whatever now. It'll be the same thing that happened in 2021 where I think I had this conversation on here multiple times. I had more people retire between 2020 and 2021 than I had the previous five years. And it's it really came down to what did the markets do for those two years? Well, they were double-digit returns. People's returns were over like 30 to 40% uh, over a two-year period. So yeah. your money grows that much in a short period of time. You go, I, I think I can afford to do this. I can do this. And they pull the trigger, especially when 
all the things change in your workplace because of COVID and a pandemic and all, all that change, you go, I'm done with this. I'm going to hang it up. Look at my account. I'm good to go. And so, yeah, the Fed can't make any definitive statement of it's done, it's over because, well, they really, number one, they don't know that for sure. They can project that, but they don't know that. And number two, they would put themselves back in the same spot they were two years ago and hit the reset button on this whole inflation cycle. And they don't want to do that. So they're going to be very timid, I would imagine, as to what they say is happening. They may say things are looking good right now. And that might be the best answer you get. But the reality is they are looking good right now. Everyone projected last year that by this time we'd be in some major recession because the Fed was going to raise rates too fast and we were going to take a nosedive in our economy, which would cause the market to crash because companies wouldn't be able to perform. They'd be laying people off. Profits are gone. And what ended up happening is the Fed did a fairly good job of landing this plane so far. Now, I can't say it's going to always be the case, but things are looking pretty good, which now that puts into a whole nother perspective our conversation on bonds and interest rates and fixed interest rates on CDs and fixed annuities and savings accounts and all those different things that are going on right now, if the Fed decides to stop raising the rates, what does that look like in general? Well, I think we've already started to see some of the interest rates uh, flatten in different areas, right. not go down, but they're just remaining about where they've been for the last few months, a couple months ago, quite a peaked. And because uh, a year ago, it was a race to see who could raise their interest rates on their CDs as fast as well, possible. they're trying to gather as much business as they can while they can, you know, so and a lot of money moved, a lot of money moved from banks to banks because, you know, I'm going to offer 10th percent or a quarter yeah. percent higher. Than I the got next four guy. and a half. Well, this guy's only got four and a quarter. Well, we better move. I'm going to win that customer over one way or the other. That's so true. we're going to start seeing that slow down a little bit, I think, uh, even with the Fed pausing. Uh, unless they go back to raising rates here later, I think we'll see most of that flatten out. I'm not saying they're going to go back down real fast, but my personal experience in the past when this has happened, it takes a, a few months of pausing and then you'll start to see short-term rates kind of go down. Short-term rates being CDs and money markets and stuff that's based on, you know, treasury bills, which is backed by treasury bill short money. Yeah. Um, which is more of the current interest rate, not the long-term interest rate of what you would be looking at in those investments. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to start to see. You're, you're starting already to see them shorten the guarantee period on interest rates. Right. So that just tells me that the banks are already going, well, let's only offer a 12% or 12 month or at peak or even the 18 month, they're now starting to get scarce at peak. The highest interest they're paying now on a lot of them I just looked at was 12 months. So they right. already know 12 months from now, they can't, they don't want to lock in anybody longer than that because they think the rates will probably be a little lower. That's so. interesting. And I've seen this too, depending on whether you're looking at like a, a fixed interest rate product from an insurance company or a CD, those short term ones are sitting at, you know, three and a half to 5%, depending on what kind of. It, you know, company it is as you're looking at, they're sitting at that higher rate, but then you go for the two and the three and the five year options. Boy, it nosedives really quick. You're losing, you're losing a half to a full percent just by choosing to go a one year longer with that. And in common sense terms, you go, well, they have my money longer. Shouldn't I get paid more interest? Well, no, not when the interest rates are projected to decline over the next two to three years, not increase. And so that'll be interesting how this all plays out because that happens in the bond market too. What's happened 
over the last 18 months is that bond values, the individual value on a market price bond had gone down because interest rates when people bought them five years ago were so much lower that nobody wants those bonds anymore. So you can't sell them secondhand for the regular market price. You have to sell them at a discount. Whereas the bonds that have been bought over the last 12 to 18 months, those interest rates are high. And when interest rates start shrinking, People want those high interest rate bonds. They'll pay a premium for them. So we're going to find, and I don't know what this looks like. It's not going to happen over a day or over a month or over six months even. But you're going to find that bond funds start to recover from the little the the dip in the road that they've had over the last 18 months because they're more valuable at those higher interest rates that may have got locked in for three or four or five years in those mid to short to midterm bonds. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I think there's a there's a run in the bond market ahead. Uh, again, not in the near near like next month or two future but right. i think there's some bond catching up that needs to be done as interest rates go down uh those current bonds that people have been holding those values will slowly tick up and they'll look good again but there's some definite growth opportunities in the bond market i think uh you know especially in bond funds that are holding a lot of older bonds that'll help them yeah. uh, come back a little bit and then uh you know also when the interest rates um, start flattening out, you're going to see the a little less uh, advertising going on. And uh, then people are going to start looking, digging hard and looking for the highest interest rate because they, you know, they I, I got really good rate. Why can't I find that now? And right. So it'll be another scramble going the other direction, just like there was a scramble in the last 18 months, say, of people trying to find the highest interest rate There'll be the scramble for them still looking for the highest interest rate, but in a more of a panic because it's going to be very short, yeah. six month, three month, and then, you know, it'll be back to where we kind of Whatever look. the normal but that could is. be a couple of years till we see those interest rates get back to where they were pre-22. So let's know. make this practical for our listeners. I mean, right now, and we, we don't know. We don't know what the next six to 12 months bring in interest rates. They could go up. They could go down. They could stay flat. But right now, if someone is sitting on some cash, and we just talked about this uh, with the business savings account, if you're sitting on some cash and you're thinking, what can we do to maximize and leverage this money? We don't plan on using it for the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months maybe. What can we do to maximize? What kind of research should they be doing? Where should they be looking to find that information? You know, It's obvious that, well, we want the most interest possible, but there's some caveats to that of, well, but I also need to make sure that the most interest possible is, you know, either insured in some way. We saw some bank failure earlier this year. Is it insured in some way? Is it going to be available to me? What's the rules after I'm done with that time period? I mean, what kind of research do people need to do when they're looking for that safety spot in a short-term way? Well, I think you got to start. Uh, the first thing is what I want to do with my money, right? How long Absolutely. do I want to tie it up? If it's money I'm going to use to buy something soon, then you obviously got to look at that time frame. That's number one. And then second, if I have money that I say, okay, I'm not going to use it for a couple of years. Okay, now I got to look at where I'm going to go. What am I going to look for safety features? You know, we all fall, uh, we've all been sold the FDIC security in this country that it's the cure all to everything. If things fail, then, you know, the federal bank will take care of it. The federal deposit, I should say, insurance company, corporation, but it's a company, a separate entity, but yet backed by the Fed. And um, I always say if it gets to an Armageddon world and uh, people aren't paying taxes anymore, then 
you know, the Fed can print money for a while and, and bail everybody out, but sooner or later that money runs out and there's just nothing left, right? right? That's true Armageddon. Yeah. So if you're an Armageddon believer, then you could care less about the FDIC, other than it might buy you some time. Yeah. Well, they'll give me some of my money back and then, but sooner or later money's going to be zero. Okay. There's if just, there is it's, Armageddon. A, it's a downward spiral at that time. Yeah. Now, it is important with the FDIC if it's individual bank situations. Right. So when you're looking at banks, uh, you know, for, for the FDIC side of it, you know, you do have to look at the bank. What is the standard operation of that bank? Right. You know, if we look at the the banks that failed in the last couple months. SVB and, and First Republic or something. Or uh, I don't know. There's a Republic. couple of banks. I can't remember right now. Uh, that's how smart I am. Uh, my wisdom has taken over. Well, you didn't have any investments in there, so you're good to go. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, they ha- they were specialized banks. They were playing in, you know, one was li- loaning money to startups. Mm-hmm. Um, SVB was big in that area. So they had a lot of leveraged money or money loaned out to bank or companies that were starting out and probably leveraged highly. And then the other one did a lot of crypto work uh, with crypto stuff. And we all know what happened to crypto last year as far as the, uh, maybe not the crypto dollar amount, which is still staying lower than, way lower than what it was. Mm -hmm. But it's all the Coinbase and all these other places that were holding money, custodian, and it was all leveraged and it was a bunch of, it was a big mess. So, you know, most smaller banks, and they were all worried about regional banks, go to the big boys, you know. Mm-hmm. Most regional banks aren't playing in that world. That right. sandbox doesn't exist to them. They're doing normal, good uh, loans out to people. They're Personal managed loans, very well. mortgages, And that's like where that. you look, okay? They may not be the flashy uh, online highest interest rate, but if you're a quarter percent off, what's a quarter percent unless you're talking a million bucks, you know? I mean- right. And why not take go stay local where you're going to get, you know, a decent bank that's got some good operations and good financials sitting there? Yeah. So when you when you do that research, I think you're dead on is you got to look at what is the quality of the company that you're investing in? So we run into this a lot on the insurance side of the world with annuities because there's annuities are a dime a dozen. Every insurance company and the big ones all the way down to the mom and pop shops. They want to sell an annuity because they know that they're extremely profitable for the insurance company because what you pay for when you buy an annuity is you're paying for whatever guarantees they offer. The insurance company has crunched the numbers. They know that they can make more money off of your money by taking some risk with it than what they're going to pay you in your guarantees, and that's the only way they that's how they profit. It just makes sense. But what you need to do is look at the quality of that company because if it's a bank, yeah, I want to know what are you doing with my money when I put it in the CD. Yeah, sure, you're FDIC insured, but are you out here leveraging stuff? Is there is there some crazy investments going on in that side of things? On the alternative with the insurance company world, how high quality is your bond portfolio? Because a lot of those insurance companies, they go into a managed portfolio of bonds, short-term, medium-term, long-term, and they're trying to generate return on that portfolio to earn profits and give you the interest rate that they that they can give you. There's ratings on insurance companies, and they go all the way down to what, like triple B and below? Unrated. And, and unrated type companies, all the way up to you know the prime high-quality investment, short-term type bond portfolios, all that stuff, those high-quality companies, they hold reserve accounts that are basically the insurance company's version of the FDIC. 
Because FDIC is for banks only and certain special banks that qualify for it that go and pay into it and all that stuff. On the insurance world, they have a reserve account set aside to pay out to people if the insurance company goes out of business. Well, do you know much about that reserve account? Do you know the quality of that portfolio that they're investing in? Those are the questions you have to ask because here's an article I read um, is that most people have a balance in their cash app or their Venmo accounts, or whatever they do to transfer money back and forth, almost nobody realizes that those aren't FDIC insured. There's no reserve accounts to, to cover those. If Venmo goes out of business tomorrow, I just checked, I have $130 in my Venmo balance. That just disappears. I don't get it. I'm not guaranteed that money. It is held by Venmo, but it could disappear tomorrow. Now, I think that Venmo is going to be around for a while. I probably need to do some more research into what the quality of the company is and what they're doing. But in the grand scheme of things, $130 for our family isn't going to make or break us. But if you find yourself doing your business through Cash App or Venmo, I know some small businesses who use that as their main source of you know, accounting. Is there a balance being held in there? And do you know if that's protected if something happens to you? Because that's the downside of SVB is the FDIC insurance was for 250000 Some companies and corporations are running million-dollar-plus budgets through there. Not all that was insured. Now, the government did step in and say they're going to do some things, but that can't always be the case. So you got to do your research. Are you protected? Is the company quality? What does that look like for you on the fixed interest side? Because right now, with that scrambling going on to find the best interest rates, there's going to be some really junky companies out there that don't look all that good on their balance sheet that are going to offer you really appealing numbers. Hey, you know, you were getting 5% a year ago. Just wait. I'll give you 5% this next year. It's like, well, where are you getting the 5%? If everybody else can't do it, how come you can? Well, there's likely some risk going on behind the scenes that you don't even realize. Yeah. And to go back to the insurance world, there's been a lot of private equity have bought insurance companies. And as we all know, private equity is all about making money. And uh, imagine that. Profit, profit, profit. You betcha. So what's happened is that some of these insurance companies have been bought up by private equity and they've combined them all and made a new company out of them. And I may have mentioned this. I don't know if I mentioned this in any podcast, but I've talked about numerous times recently about how there's insurance companies that I never heard of recently in the last few years. And I go, who is that? Well, it's owned by private equity. What they do is they bought up a bunch of medium sized insurance companies and created this big conglomerate and but they've leveraged one they buy one company and leverage some of those assets to buy the next company and leverage and leverage and leverage and in essence it's a house of cards one domino baby and it's one all domino done. and this whole thing could fall down so insurance companies used to be like banks and there's still a lot of them out there you just got to do your research is that they they used to have a high quality 95, 98% of their assets in bonds, mostly government and high-grade corporate bonds. Very good, safe investment-grade stuff. Triple B bonds or better is considered investment-grade bonds. So private equity comes along and they go, well, hey, there's, these are cash cows, all that millions and hundreds of millions and some, a lot of cases, billions of dollars of money sitting there in reserves we can use that to make money off of it. So right. they've now, I've read a couple of them, that some of their bond portfolios in the 70 to 80% range. The rest, they're buying equities or they're leveraging them into other higher risk investments to make money. 
And so with this high interest rate going on, people look at the high interest rate in that annuity. They don't bother taking the time to look at the quality of that company. They just know that that's paying higher than what I was getting in this annuity or that's highest I've seen out there. I'll take it. Right. And so what they're doing is they're putting themselves in a situation. Now, is are they backed by FDIC? No. Is an insurance company backed by any other? Well, some of them, if they're commercial carriers, are, are backed by the Life and Health Guarantee Fund. But let me tell you about the Life and Health Guarantee Fund. That's other insurance companies have to risk pool. So if Ohio has a Life and Health Guarantee Fund, they'll insure up to 250000 if an insurance company goes down the tubes. However, your money, they aren't just going to write you a check. Let's say you got 200000 in there. They're not going to write you a check for two hundred k. They're going to say, look, you're, we're going to make sure you don't lose that two hundred k, but you got to leave it in there, and we'll only let you get access to a certain amount for a while. I've seen it happen in the 90s. We went through this in the early 90s, and we're going to see a lot of it probably in the future is my guess. I don't can't say for sure. Right. But I so you, you got to look at the financials, stay away from some of those risky ones that aren't doing good, prudent decision making underneath. It's the same conversation that we've had about equities, right? We've talked about stocks and mutual funds and ETFs, and there's all kinds of ways that you can add some bells and whistles to any type of investment to make it look flashy and exciting. But every one of those bells and whistles comes with risk. So you look at the double leveraged ETFs. I had a friend of mine text me about these. He goes, dude, do you see these things? They're returning like 18% in the last six months. And I'm thinking, you realize what double leverage means, right? That this is truly a house of cards. If it hits, it wins big. It's like the lottery. Yeah, high risk, high reward. But if it doesn't hit, it goes kaput, and so does everything around it. There's nothing there for you to go and lean no back No guarantee on. either. There's no, And that's the equity side of the market. The bonds are no different. What happened in 2008 was a issue of people took too much risk on mortgages. They were giving out crazy mortgages to people who were underqualified for them. And they had to put regulations in place to make sure that doesn't happen again because these were low-quality investments, but they were being sold as high-quality investments. Yep. And so the research has to be done before you jump into anything, especially the things that say that they're safe and guaranteed and this is the place where you go if you're a conservative investor. You need to do the research to make sure that's true because if you don't look under the hood, you may not realize that you got sold a lemon of an investment. Yeah, and that 2008 example was perfect because they were putting credit default swaps in with a bond portfolio and which are which was betting on low quality mortgages yeah but you were buying a bond portfolio that you thought was higher quality and when the when it hit the fan then those credit default swaps went negative and that ruined the house of cards fell right basically the problem but nobody was, knew it when they were buying those bonds that portfolio they'd had no idea no. that that junk was in there and this happens today it's just a, a they're doing it in a different manner they right. aren't doing it necessarily with a bond market because they did put that foot down but i'm just telling you insurance companies to do it i don't know about banks in the private i really haven't read a lot about it but, um, you know, again, stick with a, you know, a good quality bank that, you know, it's no, that's doing normal average sandbox operations. You don't want, if it sounds too good to be true, this is what we've always said, that it probably is too good to be true. Right? Lots of tricks. That it, 
it's snake oil, it's smoke and mirrors, it's a game to get your business because it's a competitive dog-eat-dog world out there, especially on the fixed side of the world because a quarter or a tenth of a percent can sway a customer to go from one place to the other. So what can we do to edge out just a little bit more? Well, if we take a little bit more risk, it's not that much, it's not that much, but just a little bit more, well, it may be that much if you're not paying attention because that's what happened in 2008. They started doing it in 2000s. Well, if we bet on the real estate market, it never goes down. So we can definitely take some extra risk. Even if these guys don't you know, pay their mortgage, at least we get their house. Well, what's a house worth if there's a million of them on the market and no one wants to buy them, right? That's the yep. thing. It's the problem of, of the investment. You got to look at that quality. Yeah. And so I think the thing boils back down to that, you know, we all want to try to maximize return on our money, right? I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. So if you're looking to do some of this stuff and you're not sure, then you need to talk to your advisor. And if your advisor's doing double leveraged ETFs and you're not an aggressive investor, I mean, an aggressive investor, then you might want to look for another advisor. Right. But most advisors aren't going to, they might utilize that if you have a client who actually wants to play that game. That takes a special person. But you need to understand those before you go into them. Don't buy into the greed of the 18% return. Because let me tell you, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And it might be a short-term run, but that short-term run could end very quickly. And those could drop 18 to 30% percent who knows what number very fast before you can even get out of them right so yeah. that's just the thing i, I guess our, today is a word of caution be careful where you're going as we're all searching for the highest return we can get remember that carries risk absolutely so if you are looking for an advisor who can give you some advice on some of these things you're looking for a high quality diversified portfolio you're looking for some advice on where does my retirement income come from or am i going to be okay if i retire a little bit earlier than 65 what does this look like for me and my family if that's what you're looking for you can head over to our website fikeadvisors.com there's a schedule now button in the top right corner if you click that it goes to my calendar and you can schedule a phone call a zoom call or if you're in our area you can come in and meet with us at our office whatever you want just it doesn't cost you anything it's a it's a a complimentary consultation just to see if we can help you out. So fikeadvisors.com, click the schedule now button in the top right corner and just take that first step. See if maybe it is time to get some planning done for you and your family. And in the meantime, we'll be here for our next episode coming up here in a couple of weeks. Any final thoughts here, Brad? Just uh, just from the uh, financial yo guy here. Oh, yes, Mr. Flexible himself. Uh, not only be flexible with your muscles, but also be flexible with your financial plan. Oh, wow, that should be on your business card. Words of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk to you soon. Investment advisory services provided by Fike Advisors, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult a professional before taking any action. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.